Hey, welcome to Rethinking Trauma and Transition. And we challenge the stigma surrounding trauma and the healing through our podcast. We aim to empower those who are experiencing these challenges, providing them with the knowledge and language necessary to embark on a transformative journey towards a more fulfilling life. And today, we've kind of decided we're going to go a bit off the cuff because normally we have we kind of plan out what we're going to speak to today. But today we were having a conversation about um, something that I refer to a bit like the push me pull me effect within change when people are going through change, and we were talking about how sometimes it feels as though we're not making progress when in actual fact we are. And we thought it was worth exploring that a bit further because sometimes it feels as though we're in a retreat situation that we haven't actually covered or progressed further forward in terms of our progress. But actually, that in itself is part of our progress. It's something I witness quite a lot when I'm working with people. And I dare say, I know, I know you, you do too, Rich, is that sense of, um, and sometimes it, the people that we're working with can feel almost a little bit frustrated. It's almost like they get so far in terms of making the changes or whether that's changes in thinking, changes in beliefs, changes in their responses and actions. And it almost feels like the next week you see them, it's like they've run away from that change. It's too much. It puts them in overwhelm in a position of risk. And sometimes they can see that as not moving forward, but actually... I almost see that as a vital part of moving forward. Mm -hmm. Because what is causing that push me pull effect? Would you say it's rewiring of the brain circuitry or something else? Or is that part of it? Well, if you think about anything we learn, whether that's learning to walk or something more complicated, there's a there's an element of testing new territory, of testing new ground, of checking the stability of our footing. And if those are big steps that we're taking, it can feel a bit risky standing so close to the edge of our experience. Definitely off balance. Definitely off balance. And I think sometimes there's a need almost to reassess the impact but it's easier to do that from a place where we perceive as safe mm -hmm, definitely. than it is from standing at the edge of our of our experiences. It's what we discussed earlier, wasn't it? Is as you said, that two steps forward, two steps back, and then people are kind of peeking around the corner. Or yeah. in, as in a military context, it's more like um what could be seen as taking cover because there's say safe route in and you know safe route back. But what you perceive to be coming in, in inwards would be incoming fire or suppressing you down and keep you in that cover when there's the option of flanking around that potentially and maybe get somebody else on your side to then start doing a suppressing fire into what could be perceived as an enemy position. So I think that concept of suppressing fire or, or suppressing, I'm going to narrow it down a bit, is is worth exploring because I think it's really accurate. Um, 
and I liked what you what you were saying earlier, Rich. We were talking about this before we we started this podcast about the different way we can consider that suppressing fire. So I'm going to hand that back to you because I think it's worth describing those different ways again. Yeah. So suppressing fire is essentially keeping people's heads down, and there is someone looking to come and take your position or you're looking to come and take someone else's position. So it's an advance onto somewhere else. But if you're in cover, there's no way to advance your position unless you're getting some support from some, from a supporting arm. That could be artillery, mortars, air, whatever else is out there that can do that and allow you that freedom then to move and advance onto someone else's position or an objective that you want to reach and attain. In a way, that suppressing fire is what our role is in that relationship when we're working with the client. Our also role on their side. Is, that of, is, is that of providing suppressing fire for them to make mm -hmm. it safe for them to move forward. But what I also really liked was you asked me the question that about whether that was suppressing fire or suppressing self. Mm-hmm. Because that concept of suppressing is what am I suppressing in that moment? What is being suppressed in that moment? And that sometimes gives us a clue as to the root cause for that retreat. Yeah, because people know that safe route back that they've always used instead of exploring and exploit that new ground they want to advance onto. They know there's an objective there, whatever it looks like for that person. But without that little assistance, they won't be able to attain that goal. I think the other thing is, is that when we are breaking new territory, and that might even be when we're returning to tread territory we were before from a behavioural standpoint, from a response standpoint, from a venturing out into the world standpoint, if we have been in a position of sustained lockdown in terms of our emotions, our engagement, our sense of community, our socialisation, our ability to form and construct relationships. That can be absolutely terrifying, absolutely terrifying, yeah. because it is so rich in risk for us. Yeah. Because just as that is terrifying, the original suppression, the original lockdown came as a defensive action. It came about to protect us at a point where we were experiencing pain or discomfort or another negative belief or experience. That means that there's a chance that what we have learned is the new territory equals pain or the risk of pain, the risk of disappointment, the risk of failure. And when we stretch our wings to, to go out into that, then we also risk validating that that is true. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that fear of the validation of it almost becomes just as big a barrier as anything else. And at times, as mentioned in the previous podcast, is we've got this map and it's unexplored territory. Sometimes they, that that um wooded area in front of us is just too thick and dense to see through and so we have no way of knowing which is or 
in fact, we have to make our own path through that by literally cutting our, cut our own path through there. It has to be quite a scary, daunting prospect. Yeah, because each of those, each of those trees, those blocks, are some of our long-held beliefs, mm -hmm. some of our long-held values that we oppose upon ourselves. Now, that's a bit of a contradiction in term because sometimes those are actually long-held devalues of self, not values. These are the negatives that we place yeah. upon ourselves. The I'm not worthy, I'm not capable, I'm not smart, I'm not engaging, I'm not likable, you know, all of those I'm nots instead of the I ams. And those I am nots can be really heavy and really mm -hmm. loud in our heads. Yeah. And because they are already loud, part of that protective mechanism has been to prevent it being said to us again, mm -hmm. to prevent those internal voices saying, see, I told you so. Yeah. And it's that mind of getting caught up in those um, vines and getting tangled up in say all the brambles and whatever else is going on there and not not finding another way out of it because you're just feeling stuck in that position even though you've made some progress part and parcel of that is that along the way we've forgotten that life is about risk mm -hmm. that's what you mentioned before wasn't it what are those two words you were saying to me is it dare and risk Ali? yeah i tend to um Every year I kind of pick words that I want to be my themes for that year, the challenges I set myself. And my two, my, two of my words I picked this year were dare and risk. Now that sounds a bit kind of like what you're going to do, take up extreme sports to start base jumping. Uh, no, because I'm scared of heights. Um, although there is a part of me, there is also a part of me which goes, actually, yeah, you could probably talk me into it. Um, I know a phobia cure for that. <laughs> See, now you've got me reflecting the fact that I have zip-lined across the Clyde mm -hmm. and um, I almost decked the person at the other side who went, so I suppose that's cured your fear of heights. And my answer to that was, no, it's confirmed everything I ever knew about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the point of that dare and rest, the point of those choices are about acknowledging that actually that's the epitome of living and just because we have these inner critics or these inner beliefs doesn't mean to say that we have to allow them to be the boss of us yeah. to make our choices for us that sometimes that dare and risk is choosing to go yeah, you might be there and you might still be whispering in my ear, but you know what? I'm still going to do it anyway. Because yeah. the payback of the exploring of the new territory, even if it's something that you find, which is a patch of brambles, well, at least I know the brambles are there then. And I've fallen in a few pa bramble patches and nettle patches in my life. I've survived every single one of them. Yeah, pretty much intact. Yeah. It's like what you mentioned earlier, Ali, is people might be thinking they're taking too big a step, where in fact they want to be taking baby steps. 
and that that's is just enough progress to be able to move on from that position and again in a military situation sometimes it's always good to take a step or two back or in any situation really and go reassess where i am and look at is this the right route for me or do we need to go around flanking what i need to look at or fly above it or dig underneath it whatever it is to get around that objective or get to get closer to that objective you're aiming to and that's part of that learning of that exploration that's part of the purpose of that dare and risk that's part of that that preceding retreat the push me pull me mm-hmm. it serves a valid purpose it allows that consolidation of the known space and the known boundaries that we now have the ability to operate within it gives us the ability to scout out the bramble bushes and to do so in small steps instead of running full pelt into them yeah and those small steps are just as valuable as the large ones well they're even more valuable i think because allowing that continuous process isn't well, it each of evaluating them. looking we're not taking a full stride and going well you know what this is a point where I've lost my footing and I fell over. That Those baby steps allow for that secure footing, don't they? They do. And I think the other thing about that is that there's another gain to be had there. And the other gain is in the growth of our own inner resilience. Because those baby steps allow us to take calculated, measured risks. Because... Just because I've chosen risk and dare for my themes for the year doesn't mean to say that I'm going to turn into a total high-octane adrenaline junkie, as I said, extreme sports participant. But I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be I am going to increase the the, the parameters of the risks I take. I am going to take more steps beyond my existing boundaries. I am going to take the time on occasion. To pause and reflect on that and sometimes I will get it wrong that's part and parcel of that that preceding retreat and the nature of those baby steps gives me the chance to learn to reevaluate, and to grow in my resilience and my capacity to deal with those mistakes those yeah. errors those and actually I'm going to reframe that because they're not mistakes and they're not errors it's a learning they're learnings because that reflection is essential that retreat and allows that reflection allows me to acknowledge my own growth and resilience my own capacity to deal with that and that's important particularly when you are working with somebody that's going through significant change because sometimes they enter into that journey unclear on their resilience or feeling as though their resilience is something that's an alien concept would you mind explaining what the words of the year mean to people or how you can do <laughs> it well I'm not a great one for resolutions because resolutions become these list of rules that then become like sometimes it feels a bit like milestones around your neck. And the problem with resolutions sometimes is that the minute we falter on that path, then the resolution never reasserts at all. It's done and dusted. So therefore, what's the point? Or people make them and they just completely ignore them. Or they make them and they completely ignore them. So instead, I pick words and themes for the year. And because these these are themes for the year, I have a whole year to experience those in. And it doesn't have to be every day. 
But each time I'm in a situation that is different or new, then I have a chance to assess whether or not this is a risk that I am at that point ready to take. If there is an opportunity for me to learn in the process and actually weighing up the possible outcomes, am I comfortable with each of those outcomes? Am I prepared for each of those? Am I okay with that? So there's a calculation in there because that's a that's about risk management. That's a bit good risk management. Yeah. Because we're not saying that this is without deliberation or thought. When I picked risk and dare, I was very deliberate about it. And I gave myself permission to assess the risks. And I gave myself permission for the risks not all to be massive. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're only acknowledged by myself. Yeah, I think that's very important. I think, Ali, that's very important what you said is give yourself permission to go, I've got this. I'm not sure what's going on, but I do have this, whatever this means to people. And that permission then allows for that reassessment, reevaluation of where they are to a new situation, a new place, a new way of being. And it also allows you to go, right, okay, what are the possible outcomes here? A, B and C. And you to assess, actually, in terms of likelihood, what are those outcomes? And to assess the impact on self with each of those outcomes. And sometimes you will choose to go, maybe that's a risk for another day. Yeah. And sometimes you'll go, do you know what, screw it, yeah. I'm okay with each of those outcomes. I will be okay with each of those outcomes, regardless of whether these are good outcomes or bad outcomes. Mm -hmm. I will be okay with them because that's the growth of resilience. Yeah. I can't remember who it was now, but there was some business leader. And it didn't matter what decision he made. He'd always stick by it and then reassess where he was and what he was doing. I don't know how far down the line it is and go, Okay, that wasn't such a good idea. What can we learn from this? It wasn't pig-headed going, that's what we're doing straight away, consult everybody, or consult people, then make a decision and stick with it and go with that decision. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's also about acknowledging that I have the capacity to change my mind. Now, don't get me wrong, with every risk that I take, there comes a point of no return. You know, there are there are steps that you go down in that route where you think, okay, I'm at the point of commitment now, so now I've got to make the choice. Well, the other problem with that is have you ever come across a sunken cost fallacy? No. No. Classic ones are on the stock market where people have gone in, yeah, put that so many, however much it is into certain stocks, and they notice it going down and down and down and down, but they don't pull out Hmm. because they're too committed into that process so some sometimes it is better to put away at the right at a worse time than it is to keep pursuing something that's not beneficial to to whoever it is so and that could, again uh, stop and retreat isn't it it is yeah so it could be looked at as well is parents who want their kids to be an athlete whatever sport that particularly is send them off to all these clubs and they're told your kid ain't any good or not or not any good that's one way to say it is not to our standard you won't meet our criteria but they still pursue lie in other areas mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and they still keep pursuing that dream of them being a professional whatever it is but that kid will never ever achieve that but the sadness in that for me is that whose dream is that child fulfilling mm-hmm. 
theirs or the adults. Yeah, precisely. And sometimes that's also a lot of what we deal with when we work with clients, you and I, is that that unpicking the baggage that we've carried from childhood, because that's often part and parcel of how we've end up, ended up hunkered down in the bunker, because we're still trying to fulfil somebody else's dreams, or we're still burdened with yeah. the output of somebody else's ideas of what we should or should not be, who we should or should not be, how we should or should not be. Children are no children are the unmet needs of the parents. But I think the art form is in learning that actually the unmet needs should be ours, not somebody else's. And the needs that we pursue are ours, not someone else's. And is well, that's a problem in some cultures and some sectors of society, they're saying, Yeah, you will pursue this career, you will pursue that, because look what I've done for you. I've sacrificed myself to do this so you can go off and do that. And this is what I want you to do and you must do it. How much of a burden is that onto some poor kid? I always look back and, and I mean, you never had this conversation before. I started school when I was four and that meant that I was always the youngest in my class. But that meant I was making life choices in terms of the subjects at school or whether I would go to university or not at 14, at 17. I'm a damn sight older than that now. I still can't guarantee that there won't be more changes in front of me. And what I can tell you is that where I started off is not where I've ended up now. Absolutely, yeah. But they've been my choices on the whole. Some of them, sometimes it hasn't felt that way, but those have been learning experiences for me too because the ones that haven't worked out so well for me have been where I haven't been making my own choices. I've let others make those or constrain those or suppress those. And... So that'd be then, how much control of your life do you want? Do you want your life happening to you or you want to take control more of your life? Part of that is also, and again, it's some of the conversations you and I were having just, just before we came, came onto this podcast, Rich, is about the difference between, and sometimes wrapping your head around about what you need and what you want, because they're yeah. two very different concepts. And when we have come from a background where... We felt as though our choices are limited, where we have those inner critics, where those voices have come from that have limited us, have boxed us in or told us what we can't do instead of what we can do, what we can't aren't capable of instead of what we are, who have chosen to not celebrate us or acknowledge us or see us. Yeah. Then our world can shrink to a place of just our basic needs yeah. because yeah. we've forgotten what we want. Or how to want, because want is that uncharted territory. Want is a place of fear. Want is a place of risk. Yes. So there's a hierarchy, isn't there? Wishes, likes, wants and needs. Mm. Is that right? Yeah. And so if you go to anybody in sales and car salesman, typical one is what's your wishes? Oh, what's your want? So obviously you want a car. What's your needs for car that it drives well? What else would you... It worked down a list of and eliminate what's a wish. Well, is that really going to happen? Possibly not. Would you like that to happen? Yeah, definitely would. But is that me? Not so really worried about that. I really want that to happen, but this is what I need to have happen for me. And you could argue that there is almost a, a hierarchy of engagement, a hierarchy of delight in there as well. Yeah. 
and that need is right at the lowest level. Want has slightly more delight and slightly more joy within it, and wishes have the most. Aye, but there's that, be careful of what you wish for. Well, isn't that just about us growing our resilience? And, and I think that's also about making a choice over where the, whether the journey is more important than the end result. Oh, yeah. Because often, while our experiences might not end up the way we want them to, and we might walk away with hurt or with loss or with an experience that we didn't want at the end, is about what we choose to take away and focus on. Yeah. Because very rarely is a journey all about that. There will be moments of delight and moments of lightness within it. There will be the previous to that. And that's what the journey is about. That's what the risk is about. About the destination. It's about the journey. Yeah. It's also the perception of, was that a good moment? Or was that a bad moment? Because essentially everything is neutral. That's how we perceive those things to be. And how we react to them. Yeah. Because we attribute we attribute the the nature of the event posthumously after mm-hmm. the event. We make it's a decision that's made in the future or in the present about a past event. You know, it's the same as the concept of luck, you know, and I'm a firm believer, much as though people might hate me for it, that luck doesn't actually exist. Luck is a decision made in the moment about a past event. Well, that's and, how Napoleon would um, pick his generals. He'd ask them, are you lucky? And that is about mindset. It's about what we choose to take out of our experiences. What we choose to, how we choose to place them in our lives. So much as though we all will have experiences that we wouldn't want to relive, that we wouldn't want to go through or somebody else to go through. What if it's not actually about the event? It's about what we choose to do with it next. Yeah. How we repurpose that learning, how we repurpose what we learned about ourselves what we discovered that we could change as a result about ourselves, what we maybe repurpose and use to help others with. That's what defines the experience, not the experience itself. And sometimes that might take quite a period of time for us to repurpose it, to find where it actually mm-hmm. needs to sit. But if there's one thing I've learned is that I will find a way to find it, find where it sits. At some point, I will decide that that was an experience worth having. It might not be an enjoyable one, but I found a use for it. I sound a bit Yoda-ish today, don't I? (laughs) So I think that comes back to our concept of hunkering down. Because what frustrates me is quite often you hear people talking about, oh, the client wasn't at threshold yet, so they weren't ready for change. What if it's our job to walk next to them for a while, to show them that it's okay to peek over the edge for a while? Yeah. To allow them the chance to retreat for a while and stand next to them as they do and go right okay so let's reassess where we're at and let's ready ourselves for the next 40 out into into the wide open let's maybe try a bit of a flanking maneuver next or to the left or the right yeah and when you're ready we'll go back to the direction we first tried we'll just carry on in that flanking direction and end up at your objective anyway yeah and along the way we might be able to see the original pathway and go you know what that retreat was a damn sensible idea that that works out really well yeah. Because you've discovered that actually from your viewpoint now, you've got a whole different angle that actually... Is more beneficial. Uh-huh. Yeah, because there isn't a bad decision. No. And sometimes that's about giving ourselves space to learn that 
and recognise that actually I'm still okay. I've stood at the edge. I might not be standing it now, but I've stood at the edge. And do you know what? Yeah, I've still got all my toes and all my fingers. I'm okay. That's what you want, going home in one piece. Well, the other thing to keep in mind is that we aren't the vehicle we travel in. No. We're the driver inside. And when I say I am okay, I'm referring to the driver. Because occasionally the vehicle will come home with a few dunts and bruises. That's life. That's potentially ignoring those warning signs. Sometimes that's about maybe racing into the bramble patch without assessing, but I'll learn. I'll know better next time. That's my point of reflection. But I'll still be okay. And I've learned that I can deal with something else now. Exactly. It's looking at boundaries as well, isn't it? So increasing those boundaries, increasing experience, and finding your own best path, the best path even. It's also about learning which boundaries you need to protect, you need to stand firm on. And sometimes you need to put in in the first place because they weren't there before. You know, sometimes that's about standing at the edge and going, you know what? This edge needs a fence. A damn big one. A damn big one. Because there's never been a fence here before, but there should be. Yeah. And that's not necessarily about staying in the bunker. That's about recognising that actually I've made a decision that standing at the edge, I don't want to go any further because that now places me at a far greater risk than I'm ready to accept. Yeah. Or that places me at risk that that is not acceptable full stop. And I see that very much when I'm working with things like um, trauma, with narcissistic abuse, that sort of stuff. Is quite often there's a lack of boundaries and those boundaries are about recognising what's acceptable to us, what we accept, choose to accept, and what we choose to expect as well. Yeah. And it's rebuilding then those foundations for that person as well, technically, isn't it? How they want to move around in the world, how they want to get back in the world, how they want to redefine themselves. Massively, massively. And those boundaries are what makes further progress lower risk Mm. and possible. Because those boundaries are a bit like your armour plating that protects you. Those boundaries are a bit like the reinforcements that are there at your back at your back that enable safe progression because they start to clearly define you in a different way. Yeah. And also if somebody has rebuilt those boundaries, they then potentially, and they're secure in where they are, they can potentially then look at re that situation previously and go, Yeah, that was bad for me, but I can deal with this now. I'm better suited for these conditions. Well, the one the one I like to, the metaphor I use a lot with people, and it, it seems to come up so often, this particularly when I'm working with veterans, and it comes down to that military mindset again, where a large part of that is about that core belief that your role is to bring everybody else home, your role mm. is to look after everybody else. It's where the responsibility lies. The responsibility you hold is for other people, not for yourself. Yet when you transition out of the military, you have to pull that back and you have to then go, no, actually, I have to reassess where I come first in this for the first time. Because otherwise you end up operating from a place where you feel like you're the lifeboat that your job is out in the choppy seas pulling everybody in, regardless of whether the boat has space for more people to be in it safely or not. Your job is out there battling the storm in the seas, desperately trying to save everybody. But you can become so focused on your role as the lifeboat that what you fail to see is there's another place you can stand. 
you can choose to be the lighthouse. And the lighthouse also serves a purpose, but it serves a purpose from a place of stability where it is secure, where it is not at risk, but it still provides aid. It still shows where safe harbour is and it still offers protection and support to others, but it does it from a place of personal security where it stands and is built on safe foundations. It has to be in order for it to operate. And that change has ripples because it can totally reevaluate our previous experiences because it adjusts our sense of worth, our sense of our role within each of our relationships, our sense of purpose. What purpose do we serve? Because purpose isn't just about that. We they tend to think of it almost as that big ethereal type, um, you know, I've been put on air for. But we have purpose in every relationship we have. What is my purpose in this relationship? What purpose do I serve? Or sometimes we believe we do. But in actual fact, the truth of it is, in healthy relationships, we're there because we want to be. They're there because they want to be. You'd hope so, unless they've been manipulated that situation. That's a different conversation anyway. That's a different conversation entirely. And that means that there's work for somebody to be done on their boundaries. Yeah. That they are maybe in that push-me-pull-me situation without somebody to guide them out. Because it always reminds me of, um, we say push-me-pull-me from um, Dr. Doolittle. Not sure in which way he wants to go. Yeah. Yeah. Which direction he's headed. Equally capable of hedging each. Yeah, because those, those two heads aren't having that conversation. Always having that conversation with itself. The other one's going, well, this is where I'm going. The other one's going, no, I'm not going, I'm going that way. Well, the reason why that's such a good analogy as well is sometimes that reflects our inner dialogue. Because when we are pushing our boundaries, when we are choosing to take more risks, what we often will experience is the old behaviours trying to reassert control. Yeah. The old behaviours trying to go, no, you don't want to do that, you don't want to do that. Repeating all those negative messages that are in a critic, which we were talking about in the previous podcast, comes back out to the fore. Now, it's doing that to try and keep us safe, to keep us yeah. from that risk. But how bad is that risk that's going to be taken? Exactly. And the, the, have, the amount of that. And has that risk been properly assessed? So going to a typical like a construction site, you know, risk assessment, and you know what is safe, what are good practices, and you stick to those good practices, you don't go off doing some dodgy stuff. The only way to totally limit risk to zero is to remove it totally. That's impossible anyway. Well, that leaves us in a very sterile environment. It leaves us without a wealth of experiences, without Mm -hmm. journeys to experience. It robs us of so much. It does, yeah. A uncle of mine used to say is, if you do want to do nothing, you stay in bed all day, you don't take any risks. But the problem with that is, one, you'd be earning any money. Two, you never feed yourself. If you're not maintaining your house, that's going to fall down on top of you. Mm-hmm. So you can extend it to, so everything that we do is essentially a risk, no matter even if we're staying in bed, you know, with bed sores. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. And that's that's the risk of staying in a, in the bunker as well, isn't it? Because oh. the big risk of not experiencing everything that's out there for us to experience. And yes, some of it might hurt like hell. Yeah. But not all of it will. And actually the journey to it, that might be worth it. Definitely. And that's where that push me, pull me comes back in, because that's sometimes the battle between the want and the need. The want to explore, the need to be safe. Or the heart and the mind. The heart and the mind. Yeah. Very much. So I think then. Well, what I'm going to say is if any of that's resonated with anybody, mm-hmm. 
and reach out to us. Yeah. You know, that's the sort of conversations you and I have on a daily basis, Rich. That's the pathways we walk with people. That's the edges we stand next to them with. And if anybody wants a bit of help with that, then reach out. Absolutely. So in summary then, Ali, we've been talking about is push me, pull you. Mm -hmm. And which direction you're going. Taking cover. And what, what is suppressing you from actually moving forward to that unexplored area? Are you taking baby steps or giant, massive steps? And also permission sometimes to retreat. And that that's often healthy because that's a point of reflection. That's where we acknowledge the resilience that has grown within us. Our capacity to actually be okay with that. That's yeah. what gives us the bravery for the next step. And are the dares and the risks that you take calculated or are they not? Very much. And also to forget that sometimes it's not about the end result, it's about the journey. Absolutely. So anyway, thank you very much for listening to our podcast of Rethinking Trauma and Transition. And as I said, feel free to reach out if anybody's finding that, that what we've been talking about is particularly resonated, then, yeah. then do reach out. And which podcast platforms are we available on now, Rich? Oh, we're on quite a few. Um, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon mm-hmm. Music, and a couple of others as well. And YouTube? Mm-hmm. And YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and soon a TikTok channel as well. Yeah. yeah. Until next time. Until next time. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.